for some but for everyone we are in a sermon series for advent that we are titling what the world needs now and and i said i'm going to do make my very best effort to embed that song in in your head so that it comes out all throughout this christmas season what does the world need now so far we've talked about hope the world needs hope and God has given us a hope that is firm and secure because he doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. All of his promises are yes. And so we have this, this hope as an anchor for our soul. The world needs peace. The world needs peacemakers. And, and as followers of Christ, we are uniquely equipped to be those peacemakers in this world. This morning, we're going to add to that the world needs joy. The world specifically needs people who radiate God's joy to this world. Uh, as I've thought about this Advent series and the, the four different virtues, this is the one that I've been the most apprehensive about. Uh, joy is probably not one of the top words that I would use to describe myself. Uh, peace, yes. Hope on my, my good days. And, and love, I'd like to think so. Uh, but joy, I just have this feeling that I ought to be more joyful than I am. And I don't know, maybe you can relate to that. Now, for sure, I have joyful moments. Uh, one of them was this Friday uh, morning. Uh, Karen, Sarah, and I were in the kitchen. It was early. Uh, everyone was busy getting ready to go their separate ways, and we were listening to Christmas music on our little Google Thing there and and uh, Mariah Carey came on singing uh, "All I Want for Christmas Is You." I dare you to try and listen to that song and not dance. We couldn't do it. So all three of us were getting, you know, making lunches and everything, and we're dancing in the kitchen. And the dogs are there. Sam is still sleeping. It's pretty early, but the dogs are there and they're looking at us with with this this look. If you have a dog, you'll recognize it. <laughs> and the, the half-cocked uh, head is saying, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know if I like it. <laughs> but I had this thought, I, I wish I could just freeze this moment, just take a mental snapshot, because it brings me such joy. Uh, the commercial that we just watched, I'm a crybaby. When I see things like that, it fills me with joy. Uh, there's another one uh, that's a bit shorter that I want to show you. Uh, that, that brings me so much joy. This is a, an Amazon commercial. The star of the winter show is... Good evening. All schools across the country will close by the end of the week until further notice as coronavirus reached our
one of the, the things that these two commercials have in common is that they're, they're born out of suffering and, and hardship. And, and there's some connection we're going to see as we turn to the scripture between hardship and joy. So would you join me as we pray for the reading of God's word? Father God, uh, we know what it's like to be around people who radiate joy and what a gift that is to us and our spirit. And we thank you for the gift of joy that you give, uh, a gift that is capable of weathering the trials of life. Lord, we ask you to fill us with your spirit this morning, fill us with your truth. Uh, Lord, may the words of my heart and the meditations of uh, all of us be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to explore three different passages uh, of scripture related to joy, one from Luke, one from Philippians, and one from James. And uh, we're going to first turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, and so let me just give you the quick background uh, to this passage. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. Uh, there were lots of people that would follow Jesus. And we know that because in this passage, Jesus is going to send 72 people out into the mission field, 72 disciples. And he's going to tell them to go to all of the towns that he's preparing to visit. So this is kind of like the scout team, the advance team. And they're to go out, and Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is more work to be done out there than there are people to do it. The 72 of you are not going to be able to do this all by yourself. But go, in the strength that you have, and the resources you have, I'm going to go with you, and he sends them out. And then Luke immediately moves from there to their return. And so that's where we pick up the, the story. The disciples are returning from having gone out in all, to all these communities. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 will be on the screen. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord... Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. You'll see in the passage, there's a whole lot of joy. The disciples are full of joy. Jesus is full of joy. God the Father is full of joy. The disciples have come back from their mission like a bunch of little leaguers who have just won the World Series. I mean, they are pumped. And they are coming back and celebrating and, and high-fiving one another, each of them sharing about their adventure and how God was at work in everything that they did. Now, we know that it was probably clumsy and it was probably awkward and there was probably fear involved, but they are so excited to have trusted God and to be used by God. What the disciples just experienced was being part of something that is bigger than themselves. They're part of something bigger than them. Let me ask you, do you 
want to be part of something bigger than yourself? I think the answer is probably yes. And I believe that because God has wired us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. The opposite of that is being self-absorbed, self-consumed. And a self-absorbed life is a life that just gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it eventually kind of collapses on itself. God did not wire us to live small lives in that sense. He wired us to live big lives. He gave us these eyes on our face that look outward. To be self-absorbed would be like living your life every day with a mirror two inches in front of your nose and just doing life like that. It doesn't work out very well. God created us to live this large life. The harvest is plentiful. I mean, there's plenty of work to be done. The laborers are few. God is always looking for another woman and another man and another boy and another girl who are going to join him in the mission, join him in living a large life. Here's the, the thing that we learn from this passage is that there is a special joy that can only be known to laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I love that word laborers. In fact, I'm thinking maybe we should get rid of the word church member and replace it with the word laborer. We are a fellowship of laborers. And, and as we labor, there is a joy that we are going to know. So what we see is the disciples' joy brings Jesus' joy. Jesus is full of joy. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, a couple years ago, and you're going to know this is a couple years ago by, by my story, I was in the gym at Fulton High School watching a basketball game. And uh, the, the Fulton High School team was down, and time was, was running out. They were just down a point or two, and, and the ball got kicked out to their center forward, Bradley Damhoff, who's at the top of the three-point circle. And time is expiring, and Bradley takes the shot. Every kid who has ever held a basketball in their driveway uh, growing up has lived this dream where you count down out loud, three, two, one, and you take the shot, and of course it goes in, and the crowd goes wild. Well, Brad got to live the dream. He took the shot, and, and I don't remember if it was a swish, but it went in, and, and the kids went crazy. But what I remember sitting in the stands was instinctively seeing all of these adults turn and look at Brad's dad. Because every one of us knew that Bradley's joy was going to translate to dad's joy, and we wanted to see the look on his face. And sure enough, there was a grin from ear to ear. Your joy brings God joy. Think about that for a second. Your joy brings a smile to God's face. So Jesus is, is joyful, but he also offers a word of correction. He rejoices with them, but then he says this, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't let your jo joy solely be rooted in things that that may happen or may not happen because sometimes you shoot a brick 
I shot a lot more bricks in my driveway than, than, than swishes. I mean, sometimes you get the victory, but sometimes you get the defeat. And that's, that's also true in the spiritual realm. I mean, we invest in the, the, the harvest, we labor, and sometimes things work out wonderfully, and sometimes they don't. And so our joy has got to be rooted in something that is more established, more assured. So what does Jesus say that is? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've called on him to be your Lord and Savior, there is a book, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life, that is heaven right now, and your name is inscribed in it. Think about that for a second. You are, on the day that you die, you are going to get to heaven, and there's going to be a book that is opened, and your name is going to be there. And for the rest of eternity, you're going to enjoy this this joy that is beyond our our imagination with god in heaven for all of eternity rejoice in that blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine there is a, a trend in certain christian circles that i've i've noticed uh, that almost makes it sound like thinking about heaven is a bad thing that we ought not get too preoccupied with heaven. I've seen it on Facebook, seen this meme, and, and it sounds something like this. Uh, Christianity is not about what happens to you after you die. It's about what you do before you die. And, and I get what they're trying to say. Like, we shouldn't be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. I get it. But I think the problem is not that we are preoccupied with heaven. The problem is that we are not preoccupied enough with heaven that we have this glorious inheritance that cannot perish, cannot spoil, cannot fade. And what that does is it frees us up to live this life without fear for our Lord and our Savior. The second passage I, I want to turn to is Philippians chapter 4. This is that passage that has the famous verse, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And we're going to get to that verse, but we actually need to back up two verses before that. So Paul is writing from uh, house arrest in Rome to the church in Philippi, and this is what he writes. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. How interesting that it shows up again. Whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I will say it again. Oops, sorry. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. One of the things that I love about the New Testament is how utterly practical it is. And this is written 2,000 years ago, and what we're getting to read is somebody's mail to a church, and in that letter is, is some conversation about two women who aren't getting along. I mean, can you get more practical? So Yodia and, and Syntyche uh, have some conflict, and we don't know what it is. But apparently it's a big deal because word has gotten all the way to Paul, who's in house arrest in Rome, about this conflict. And so in a letter that's only four chapters long, he devotes a couple verses to helping them work through this. So what do you think it was 
we get to imagine because we don't know. Maybe Yodia made a, a dish for the church potluck. And Syntyche said it didn't taste very good. And bam, it is World War III. Maybe Yodia and Syntyche were, were supposed to sing a duet together. And, and one of them complained that they'd really rather sing it with someone who had a better voice. Maybe Yodia and Syntyche had some differences of political opinion. We won't go there. <laughs> we don't know what it is. But there, were, there was some conflict the point is that they're conflicted and their conflict is actually impacting the larger body. And so Paul addresses it. I plead with you, ladies, to agree with one another in the Lord. You might translate that, ladies, knock it off. Or, or figure it out. Figure it out. Enough already. These are not just two obnoxious women that the church would be better off without. Notice how Paul describes them. These are women who have contended for the gospel with him. These are women who have been in the trenches. These are women who love the Lord, and they have, they have worked with Paul to, to spread the mission. They are a loyal yoke fellow. One of the, the threats to our joy, and maybe it's one of the greatest threats, is the conflict that happens with people that we love people with whom we're closest. If you have conflict in your family, you know what I'm talking about. Certainly in the, the church world, this is true. This season that we're, right, we're in right now, this COVID season, has been brutal for churches. Certainly all across our country, maybe all across the world, there are so many pastors that I talk to that every single one of them has a story of how conflict has rippled out into their church through this season dividing over things that Paul might say, you know what, knock it off, or enough already, or figure it out. It's such a big deal that Paul encourages the church to come alongside these two women to help them. Like, do everything you can to help them figure this out. Because back in this day, there aren't 15 different churches in the community. I mean, today we don't do such a good job with conflict because you become disgruntled. You just go to another church. You abandon the relationship. But here there's one church. And so if you're going to be part of the fellowship, you've got to figure it out. Help these women, Paul writes, whose names are written in the book of life. There it is again, the book of life. The fact that we have this glorious inheritance impacts everything, even those pesky conflicts that we sometimes have with one another. And then he goes on to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It is not a coincidence that that command follows the fact that your name is written in the book of life. There's a good reason to rejoice. And I, again, I say rejoice. How often do you think of that as a command? It's written in the imperative, which means this is a command. God is commanding you to rejoice. Because when I think of commands, I think of all the things that God tells me not to do. Like, thou shall not lie. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not covet. Well, here is a command that is with all of the same force. Thou shall Rejoice. In fact, I think it might be the only command in Scripture that's repeated twice. 
We don't see anywhere else, thou shall not kill. Again, I say, thou shall not kill. But here it's repeated twice. I wonder if, if joy and, and rejoicing is one of those things that if we get this right, it covers a multitude of sins. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. I wonder if the same is true about joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all, Paul goes on to say. Another translation uses the word reasonableness. Let your gentleness, let your reasonableness be evident to all. Being perpetually angry is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Irritability is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Having a short temper, a short fuse, is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. We've said joy and hardship, they're not opposites. Joy and trials are not opposites. Joy and suffering are not opposites. They're often closely linked. But joy, joy and this constant irritability, they are opposites. Joy and being perpetually angry, joy and a, a quick temper, they, you just can't live in one world and, and also live in the other. If you are perpetually irritable, you will not be joyful. So you've got to examine what is it that's causing this irritability. The last passage I want to look at comes from James. It's a familiar verse. It may be one that you've memorized. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's an easy one to say. It rolls right off the tongue. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. But now I, I want you to think about some of the trials that you've had to go through in 2020. Some of you who haven't been able to see loved ones for months now because they're in a home and there's no visitors allowed. Some of you have lost loved ones during this time and you haven't been able to have a full funeral, 10 people only. Think about that trial and now listen to the command, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Let's think back to Yodia and Syncticae, because likely their conflict was not over something as trivial as, you know, singing a duet together. Likely there were some really hurt, some real hurt, and there were some real wounds and some real pain. And Paul would write to them, he would say, consider it pure joy. James says, consider it pure joy. How do we consider it joy when we go through these trials? I mean, we could all come up with a long list of trials that it just doesn't seem like this is something that would create joy. Well, again, the, the scripture says the answer is lift your, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to where your help comes from. Because God is at work. He's doing something bigger. In fact, he's using your trial to create something in you. Your trial is a catalyst that God is using to shape your character and this life, in the span of eternity, this life is so brief. Your trial is so brief. And God's doing something that's going to last for eternity. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Not because everything is butterflies and lollipops. Rejoice because you are loved by God in heaven. Rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice because you have been invited into something bigger than yourself. You have been invited to be a laborer for the Lord. 
Rejoice because this is what the world needs from you now. Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, joy is a tricky thing for us. Uh, we try to, to pursue it, and it's elusive. Yet you describe it as a, a fruit of the Spirit. So, Lord, as we get to know you, as we draw closer to you, you birth the joy in us. And, Lord, we thank you for that tremendous gift, and we thank you for the gift that you have included our names in your book of life for everyone who has trusted you as Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.